Good morning, and welcome to ULEAD, the news and current affairs from Dalhousie and the University of King's College, nestled on unceded, unsurrendered Mi'kmaq territory. I'm your host, Carly Schogner. This week, racial symposiums, the call for justice, international funding for South Sudan, research ties to slavery, divestment, and a respected CBC voice making her way to King's Journalism School. Last Saturday, Dalhousie hosted a racial justice symposium focusing on black and indigenous issues. Friday night was a keynote with two guest speakers followed by a Q&A. From her PhD, Lynn Gale is a critic of colonial law and the policies that harm indigenous women, men, children, and the land. From appearances in parliamentary committees, Lynn has succeeded in defeating Indian and Northern Affairs' unstated paternity policy when, in April 2017, the Court of Appeal of Ontario ruled sex discrimination in their policy was unreasonable. At the symposium, she spoke of recognition of heart and mind knowledge and going beyond the narrow frames of understanding. She used her model of unharvest knowledge to describe this. Mercedes Peters, a Dow master's history student from Glusclap First Nation, was the other's keynote speaker. She is doing her research on the first-hand impacts of intergenerational trauma caused by colonization in Canada. This includes the impacts of assimilation policies on Indigenous lives and their identities over time. She attended both days, and I spoke with her in review. How, how did the, uh, the discussion connect to your research? I look at, in particular, how colonial government structures, be that um, kind of present-day or modern-day uh, governance structures, impact Indigenous people's ability to resist. Um, and what, in my case, I'm starting to see is that, in my research, trying to appeal to a state system that doesn't necessarily prioritize your existence often means that you take on roles that you wouldn't necessarily have taken on before. And so what you'll see is indigenous men oppressing indigenous women or um, indigenous groups trying to form political lobby groups that mimic state structure. And what that does is that kind of naturally ends up oppressing people. And in a lot of the conversations that we started having, you start to notice that in a lot of groups that have experienced colonialism. Because when you're in a colonized world, sometimes you forget who you are, which kind of links back to the talk that I gave. Um, when you kind of forget who you are and you forget where it is that you come from and you forget the systems that are yours, you end up kind of taking on a colonial system and oppressing one another. And that stuff can get kind of insidious. And a lot of the conversations that I was having with people from different indigenous groups all over the world, different racialized groups in the city, it's the same kind of thing. And so having racialized justice symposiums or conferences or even meetings or spaces like this are important so that we can keep having these conversations amongst ourselves so we can kind of deal with that and then go deal with the broader stuff. Did you learn anything from Lynn? Lynn's talk was extremely important, especially being delivered within the university structure or at an event that happens within a university because she was discussing the importance of indigenous knowledge and the importance of valuing indigenous knowledge. The concept of two-eyed seeing is something that actually came out of Mi'kmaq territory. And it's this idea of walking in the world, being able to honor the Western kinds of knowledge that have sort of been imposed on everybody as the norm to achieve or the lens through which we see the world. But then also recognizing and valuing and taking seriously indigenous forms of knowledge. And what we start seeing is that indigenous forms of knowledge have actually 
backed up and proven Western knowledge that kind of came to the land after. And having someone with a PhD, because we live in a world that still kind of tends to honor that over the indigenous knowledges that our people have held forever, is that if someone with a PhD stands up and tells you, hey, this is, an, this is a big deal, this is important stuff, people who aren't really used to that tend to listen more. And what Lynn did is Lynn took the knowledge from her territory, so she took Anishinaabe knowledge and kind of showed us the importance of valuing indigenous knowledge, especially in a colonial institution like this. There were also venues at the symposium, including Dreamwebs, selling handmade dream catchers. I spoke with owner Kelsey Young on her business and why she was there. They can take anywhere from two hours to a full day. Um, and it's an intricate weave uh, creating the web. Um, it's actually an Ojibwe legend that the spider shared his gift of weaving. Um, and he said that the webs will catch your bad dreams and good dreams will be allowed to go through the hole in the middle. Um, so I weave the web and include whichever semi-precious gemstones kind of speak to me. Uh, and it's actually really cool. I feel like they almost create themselves. Every time I pick up a piece of driftwood, the gnarlier, the weirder it is, the more character it has. Um, and something I love to do is to go out into nature and find lichen or um, different mosses and include that into the dream catchers as well. Um, so it's a pretty lengthy process between combining like the ribbon color, your web color, the intention that you want to spread with the stones, and then creating like my favorite part of decorating them at the end with all the really cool like accoutrement of shells. And um, one of my favorite things is that family members all over the world will gather different unique feathers and shells from Panama or Costa Rica and send them back. So they are really worldly, um, encompassing things from all over. And why, like, the symposium, what, like, what speaks to you of why you're here? Um, for myself, it's really important to be able to share any minority's story, especially being Aboriginal, being able to share that minority story. Um, I love being able to educate kids who do have Mi'kmaq background and also just children in general. They're so interested in learning, um, and it's something that's really dear to my, my heart. Uh, as an Aboriginal from Newfoundland, our family was put into reservations. My father actually went to a Catholic school with nuns, so he had absolutely no culture at all. So being able to take my time and go to different reserves and study with different elders, I've been able to gather that knowledge and, and serve my father by being able to give him his first medicine bundle and then turn around and give it back to the community. You can find more about her products online at DreamWebs. The Saskatchewan acquittal of Gerald Stanley in the shooting of Colton Bushy has sparked protests across Canada. On Saturday night, a large crowd of Haligonians gathered at Provincial Court, some of which were Dal and King students. I'm in 
I'm here in solidarity with um, both Colton and his family, but um, indigenous people here. Why is it important to you that Nova Scotia recognizes and, and challenges what happened in Saskatchewan? Um, because the, the same issues that led to the verdict in Saskatchewan are, are present here in, in Nova Scotia. Why is coming out here important to you? Um, I think with the case of Colton Bushi, it's an example of how we can't actually have meaningful reconciliation in Canada on Turtle Island uh, without a meaningful change in policy. And I, as a settler, like recognize just that the, ch the system has to be changed to stop upholding white supremacy and protecting white people. Since then, the family has met with Prime Minister Trudeau and other ministers, saying they are grateful they are being heard. A discussion guide on Colton Bushy's case is available on the Idle No More website. You're listening to CKDU 88.1 FM. On Monday morning, Prime Minister Trudeau announced the government will be providing $3.1 million towards a mission in South Sudan towards stopping the use of child soldiers by armed groups. The funding was granted to Dalhousie's Romeo Dallaire Child Soldiers Initiative. Executive Director Shelley Whitman says they will be focusing on training persons in the country's security sector who are the first points of contact to recruited children. I spoke with her in her office. Well, what it means is that we get to go into a country in which you have one of the largest concentrations of child soldiers currently being used in the world to conduct a comprehensive program over a period of three years so that we get to see some longevity with our work and so that's very exciting for us because it's been a country that we've been wanting to engage in since we originally went there in 2015 and um, we have approaches we've developed uh, in other places where we've trialed them like Sierra Leone we have peace clubs there we have radio programs that we've created we have some of these approaches we have begun in Somalia as well and the idea is that you have to make sure that the children have knowledge about how they're being recruited and used and the realities of what it means to be a part of an armed group. Most times people count on the children not understanding these things and taking advantage of that. You have to make sure that people who are in the community who have an ability to better protect and inform children also understand that so that they don't think that it's a good option for children to go that route. We want to make sure that we're educating those uh, members of the community who have an ability to try to impact the way children think about this issue too. You can learn more about the Child Soldiers Initiative's new campaign on nochildswar.org. Monday also came with an announcement that King's will be doing an inquiry on its possible colonial links to slavery. King's is one of Canada's oldest schools founded by Loyalists, many of whom had fled the U.S. during the American Revolution. Part of this inquiry will look into the school's connection with Columbia University after its own discussion on slavery's past. King's Professor of Humanities and the Holocaust, Dorota Glowaka, will chair the review panel of scholars from Dalhousie, St. Mary's, U New Brunswick, lawyers, and students. We now perhaps have a a kind of ambivalent relation. Uh, we can no longer be unambiguously proud of that connection. 
So one aspect of the inquiry will be to see what kind of relations, connections we have with Colombia, to what extent people who came here, British loyalists, who were members of Old King's College, which was then named Columbia afterwards, uh, perhaps they brought slaves with them, perhaps they held pro-slavery views. So it is a very detailed uh, analysis uh, based on archival research. Uh, so after we study that history, we can then dig a little deeper into a very long history of tense and negative race relations at this university and what has been a, a kind of adversarial relation between the university and the African Nova Scotian community. The inquiry is set to come out in early 2019. You can learn more from President Leahy online at The Signal with Danielle McCready and also coming up on our next program. On Tuesday, Dalhousie Board of Governors made the decision to follow the first motion of Divest Dow's requests. This came from the last Board of Governors meeting in November when the student divestment movement had a nine-day campout. The request was a third-party search for fossil-free investing options. The second motion was about involving the community in an issue of ethical investing. Laura Cutmore is one of Divest Dow's members. So we're really excited. This is an exciting moment for um, Divestal and also the Canadian divestment movement. Um, you know, this is, it's not divestment itself, but it's definitely a big step in the right direction for Dal to be, you know, um, taking on this fund search and, um, you know, to some degree reconsidering their decision from 2014 not to divest. Um, so this fund search is actually something that a lot of universities and other institutions um, take on after they've committed to divestment. So, you know, just we're not going to wait around and, um, you know, wait for this to be finished. We're going to continue um, to advocate like we always have um, for, for Dal to, like, you know, show real leadership, take the next step and fully commit. Dal Director of Communications Brian Ledbetter responded. The Board of Directors could not be reached before deadline. The divestment movement has gotten 800 institutions around the world, including University of Edinburgh, Laval University, in stopping their investments in fossil fuel companies. Now for a few announcements. Venus Envy is an award-winning sex shop and bookstore with something for everyone. We're a welcoming and informative place to get cool and sexy stuff. We offer a comfortable, non-judgmental environment and a wide range of tools and toys so people can explore their sexuality and gender. With a variety of high-quality products, knowledgeable and friendly staff, and a far-ranging workshop series, Venus Envy is an educational community as well as a retail business where people can ask questions, share experiences, and empower themselves. Come visit us at 1598 Barrington Street and test out our 10% discount off of toys, lube, and condoms available to friends of CKDU cardholders. Here at CKDU, we pride ourselves on the exchange of ideas on our airwaves and a strong connection to the Dalhousie campus and the community we serve. You can be a part of the discussion by calling us on our CKDU feedback line at 494-8041. Comments, quips, critiques, and commendation. If you've got them, we want to hear them. Don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. The CKDU Feedback Line, 494-8041. Tuesday was World Radio Day. This happened to fall on a special day for King's Journalism School. 
Anna Maria Tremonti, host of CBC Radio's The Current, spoke with students and professors. She has also served as a senior reporter for The National, winning two Gemini Awards, and as a host for The Fifth Estate, where she won a Gracie Award. During a Q&A with students, she spoke of her experiences in foreign correspondence in Moscow, Jerusalem, and Berlin to the future of journalism. I spoke with her after the event. Thank you very much for coming today to King's. I know a lot of our students, our colleagues, teachers were very excited. What made you decide to come to the J School? You guys asked me to come, and I, I love to speak to journalism students. I think it's important just to talk about how we cover things and to hear what you're thinking and to hear what you're asking. What are some of the things that you, you see uh, as an experienced journalist that is important for newer generations, whether it be a journalist or any, any person, any profession that uh, we need to consider in regards to you know, freedom of speech and the way we storytell? Um, I, I think overall the thing to remember about journalism is that despite all the technology, um, there's a basic sort of core of journalism that doesn't change, and that is you're, you're looking, there, there's a quest for what is true and what's really happening. Um, there is uh, a need for accountability. There is a need to talk to people about what they have gone through and to hear them so that you hear their story. A reminder that it's not about you, it's about them. It's about what they're going through and how you tell that story regardless of the technology you use to tell it. So you still have to essentially go to their living room or meet them somewhere and talk to them about it or find a way to connect with them. So it's all about that connection and then it's about the curiosity of hearing what's going on and then it's about fitting it into the wider picture and that doesn't change. I think that the the challenge, obviously there are challenges about work and we've talked about that today, um, but there are the, the, the challenge of of fighting through the noise of a lot of social media or other things. You can also use that in your favor. You can find that can be part of the story. That can be how you find them. That the, there can be a little thread of something that you can try to weave into something bigger or into a, a better story. You can sometimes see things unfolding and you're wondering what's the story behind that. So the very things that create the noise can also give us the ideas to pursue other areas. And then it's a question of punching through that, that all of all of that stuff that's available. And part of that is being true to what you're actually doing. And that is, if you are telling a story and telling it well and telling it truthfully and doing your homework and making sure that you're right, then um, when, you, when someone finds you, they will come back and find you again, that you will build that reputation for being able to tell those stories in a way that is truthful and fair. And again, again that, that's why it's important to remember that it's not always about um, the individual telling the story. It's not about the journalist. We can, we can have our big adventures and we can write about them, but it's also about hearing from other people and maybe hearing another side and asking questions that sometimes get uncomfortable because um, because we can just take a step back and ask them and see what happens when people answer. And they can answer any way they want. What we have to figure out is that they're being truthful and uh, how, do, how we respect the stories they tell, but still include in that 
the wider issue of accountability and truth. What, what out of all all the stories that you've done in your career, what is either the most um, impactful to you or the the most fun? Oh, that's such a hard question. There are so many. Um, I think depends on my mood something might stick with me or not um, or I'll think about it later um, I think what really has always impressed me I care about politics I care about politics on every level and um, so I like to interview politicians and I like to hear from officials about why they made decisions that they make and uh, but what I really find fulfilling is talking to people who are not the big names, who are not the famous people, um, but who are regular people to whom something is happening and to hear how they think, or maybe they're caught up in something and hear how they think. If I am going to talk to somebody who has a big name, I want to know how they think. I don't want to know how they think they have to talk to me. I want to understand what makes them tick. So I think that if there's a thread in anything, it's about what makes people tick, what makes people do what they do. Why do some people look at something instinctively and understand that's wrong and other people get sucked into the vortex of really bad things? Like what turns people? I'm like, I'm interested in why people make the decisions they make and sometimes the best places to go for those answers and examples are with regular people. And so that's what interests me the most and I find that really interesting. And I find that fun. We don't. We we finally take for granted of the art and the skill of of asking a question. Um, especially you see on social media, there's a lot of you know statements. Um, and what would be your recommendation about uh, some anybody who wants to improve their their ability and their art of asking a question rather than a statement? Um, first of all, do your homework so that you know what you're talking about even if you can't predict their answers and you don't want to predict everyone's answer anyway. Uh, in fact, if you do have a preconceived notion about how someone's going to answer, um, let them answer and see if you're right. But the most important thing is to listen. So if you do your homework, if you kind of have an idea of what's going on, that frees you up because you're not thinking, oh, do I know about this, do I know about that? And you can really listen to their answer and from their answer, you will get the next question. You will know where to go. The other thing, and I should have mentioned this earlier, um, have a focus. Know why you're there. Why are you even asking this person anything? What, what's the focus of this interview? Um, because that, that will keep you on sort of a line. It doesn't mean you can't wander off into maybe like something that they say that looks really interesting and you can't. But there's a purpose that for being there and there's a purpose for wanting to know. So as they answer, how does that fit into what you need to know about them or are curious to know about them? And that will kind of inform your next question. If you're armed with a little bit of fact, you will, that gives you maybe a little more confidence to take a deep breath and let them answer. So don't be afraid of, of stopping your question and letting them just answer. And um, really listen to what they say and try to pick up on that. That's the hardest thing. The other thing is what you want to do is you want to make it seem almost seamless and everything that appears to be or sounds as if it's effortless never is. So that's the background work. 
Is there anything I missed that you wanted to add? I would only say that curiosity really serves a person well. If you wanted to ask me the one thing that will give you longevity in journalism, I would say it would be curiosity. Thank you very much. You can see Anna Maria Tremonti at the Halifax Central Library tonight at 7 p.m. on Facing Race, the current town hall in Halifax. Stay tuned next week for election results from both Dalhousie and Kings. Dal elections close Sunday the 18th, so make sure you go and vote. I would like to congratulate my colleagues at Kings The Signal Digital Newsroom at the end of their workshop. With 23 news reporters, they were the largest pool of reporters in the city. You can find more news from them at signalhfx.ca. Up next, The Signal, CKDU Surprise, and Democracy Now! I leave you with sounds from Saturday's International Music Concert. It was a fundraiser for Halifax's World Museum, an initiative that is led by community members including Dalhousie's Daniel McNeil.